few years ago, the Hamilton Spec ran a, a story uh, on a man who uh, had spent most of his adult life in prison. When he was in high school, he struggled, he ended up dropping out, he moved out of his parents' house, which ended up not being a great decision, surrounded himself with some bad influences uh, to try and make things work for himself. Uh, he started getting involved in, in petty crimes and, and different things. Uh, eventually he was arrested, and then one offense led to another offense. And by the time he was 43 years old, he had spent 16 of the previous 20 years in jail, almost his entire life he had been in jail. After his last release, he was 43 years old, uh, he went out into the world and he actually started making some real positive progress for himself. He went out and he, he got a job. It wasn't the perfect job, but he found somebody that was willing to take a chance on him, even though he had a record. Uh, he didn't have any money. You know, he, he left jail with like five bucks or something that they gave him. And so um, he, he found a place to live. It was temporary in a hotel. But again, somebody took a chance on him and he was, he was, he was starting to build back his life. And then one day, he went to uh, a town, uh, a few towns over, to visit his sister. And while he was traveling, uh, I think as he was trying to come home, uh, an ice storm hit. And he found himself all of a sudden stuck there uh, with no way to get home. He couldn't get back. Uh, and he looked around, and, and he realized that uh, he didn't have a place to stay, and he didn't have proper identification, which meant he couldn't go to a shelter, and he hadn't got his first real paycheck yet, and so he didn't have any money for a hotel. And then he started thinking about it, and he realized that because of the ice storm, he probably wasn't going to get home that night, which means he wouldn't have been ready for his shift to get to work the next day, which means it would be just another job that he was going to lose in a string of a whole bunch of jobs throughout his life every time he came out of prison that he was, he was losing. And so in his, his, his thought pattern and his desperation, he went to a gas station, went into the convenience store, calmly walked up to the cashier and demanded that she give him all the money in the register. He didn't have a weapon. He even, as he calmly asked for all the money in the register, told her that if he, he, she wanted him to make it a little bit more legit, he would put on the ski mask that he had. She said that was okay. Afterwards, he walked out of the store. He didn't run away. Basically just waited there until the police came and took him back to jail. A while later, uh, uh, there was a, a journalist who was just curious. It was just a strange story. And so ended up interviewing him. And he gave the, the journalist uh, an interview uh, and, and asking, you know, what happened. And as, as they talked, he acknowledged that, you know, thinking back on it, I probably could have just phoned my boss. And I bet you, I bet you we would have been able to work something out. And acknowledged, yeah, you know what, uh, it wasn't a perfect situation, but likely there would have been some way to get a roof over my head, even just for one night while the storm passed. And so uh, for the journalist, as she's writing this article, just asking the question, you know, it begs the question, well, then, then what happened? Why would you seemingly be willing to go back to prison when, even though if it was a little bit tough, there were certainly options that could have been deployed? And the answer seems to be, and this is not so uncommon for people who have spent large amounts of their lives uh, incarcerated, that once you learn the way of life, once you understand how prison operates, the structure, the boundaries, the routines, often has been noted that it can be very difficult to live without those things. That they become the things that shape, you know, this is what life looks like. This is how I know I'm going, you know, I've got very routine, very structure. And even if none of us would say, oh, I'd like to go and stay in prison, that after a while, this becomes almost a comfort to say, this is, this is my life. And while I'm not free, I know what every day brings. It's the same. The rules and the structures, I know what's what. Reminds you, maybe uh, if you've watched Shawshank Redemption, 
the old movie now, but uh, very famous, and it's about, you know, these inmates, many of them, they've been in prison their entire adult lives, and they're trying to escape, and the one guy escapes. But one of them, uh, Red, who's played by Morgan Freeman, he spends his entire adult life in jail, and then finally he gets out. At this point, he's a senior citizen, and they set him up with a job, I think, in a grocery store, and he's doing his thing, uh, and he says this, the character says this at the end, all I do anymore is think of ways to break my parole, so maybe they send me back. All I want is to be back where things make sense. Isn't that amazing? You would think, who would ever want to go back to jail? Who would ever want to willingly give up their freedom like that? Most of us would find that hard to believe. And yet, this is the exact situation that the Apostle Paul is warning the churches in Galatia about. We've been working through the book of Galatians in this series. And Galatia was a region of the world. And this letter was written to a number of churches. And Paul is actually writing them. And a big part of his message is, do not go back to slavery. You have been set free. You've been set free into a new life, and yet people are coming along and saying, actually, we, knew, we need to go back to live under the law, speaking of the Jewish law. And I think Paul is making a similar point uh, to this article and to the movie Shawshank Redemption, is that for some of us, it's much simpler to say, just give me the laws, just give me what makes us us, and them them, what keeps us separate, what makes life easy, what separates me from people who are not like me, what gives me the confidence to know that this is just my very secure, regulated life. And Paul is going to argue to them and say, no, 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 life is so much more than that. Do not go back to jail. Don't do it. You have been set free. And yet, I think, even a lot of us, in a very different situation than those who are in the first century in Galatia, find it easy, very easy to go back to something that, uh, even if it's not the freedom that we are given through the gospel, the good news of Jesus who sets us free, who, who, who forgives us and, and gives us his spirit to say, but it would be easier if we just had some lists so that we know who's in and who's out. How I know that I'm saved and that that person's not saved. How do I know that I'm good and they're bad? How do I know that my little category and my box and my life is safe and easy and everything is good? If you could just give me the list, if you could just give me the rules, if you could just give me the laws, we might actually be more comfortable with that. And yet we've been called to so much more. And such a, a more deep and profound, meaningful life. Remember, just to get a little bit of context of this. So here's uh, the Galatians, people in the region of Galatia, these little churches who have been planted. Just think of the resources that they have and don't have and compare it to us. So many of the early Christians, we've talked about this a number of times, uh, were Jewish because Jesus was Jewish and he started, you know, right in his own tradition and so most of the early followers of Jesus were Jewish. And then all of a sudden, this message is going to people that are very unlike them, people that don't have the Jewish scriptures, which is basically the Christian Old Testament. Uh, they don't have any of that history. They don't have any of that background. They don't know those scriptures. They don't know the law. They don't know the prophets. They don't have it. And then just think of this. The people in Galatia also do not have the New Testament that we have. Galatians, most likely, there's a little bit of debate, but, but most likely the book of Galatians was the first book of the New Testament written. So, and likely none of those people who actually first received it knew that it was going to be the Bible. It was just a letter Paul wrote to them. So they don't have, think of this, they don't have the Gospels telling them about Jesus like we can read. They don't have other letters. They don't have Revelation. They don't have any of the New Testament that largely is trying to figure out in light of Jesus, how do we live? How do we, how do we work all this out of what Jesus has done now in, in this new era? What, what's going on? They don't have any of that. 
And so think of how threatening that is for some of the, the Jewish leaders who are coming and they're, you know, it matters how we live. It matters about our morality, our religious views matter. And they come and they plant these churches and all of a sudden you've got all these people who not only don't share your history, but the future is largely unwritten for them. It's not like they can just go, oh, and, you know, open up to Acts. They don't have Acts yet. Oh, open up to, to the, this hadn't been written yet. So just think of how... Uh, how, how in some ways they would have thought this is, this is very a risky place to be in life. How do we know who we are? How do we know what unites us? They're really running off of uh, the, the eyewitness testimonies of the apostles who spent time with Jesus. That's why Paul, in the beginning of this letter, week one we were talking about it, he's arguing for the fact that he's an apostle because he didn't follow Jesus around before his crucifixion for three years like some of the others did. He met Jesus uh, mystically. Um, on the road to Damascus after Jesus' resurrection, but he's, he's still saying, I'm an eyewitness to Jesus. I've met him. I talked to him. Uh, that's where my authority comes from. That's what they're going off of here. That and what we're going to talk about today, what really, truly unites them, and I think what will really, truly unite us. Because as much as we would like to say, wow, let's just build up a, a system that just makes everything very clear. Here's all our rules and our laws that make us feel safe, make us feel like we're on the right side of the, the walls to realize that God has called us to something bigger and something better than that. So what is it in a world that continues to be very polarized? Even for us, man, I look out at our church and just see a wonderful, wonderful diversity. It's a beautiful thing. People, you know, over the years that I've been here, I've met people from all over the world coming to Westside. Amazing. Some of you, you're at McMaster University and you walk through that campus and every day you see people from probably every continent on the face of the planet that are all right here in our city. And really walk in any part of Hamilton, you can find that's true. It's beautiful and wonderful. We also have to acknowledge with that comes the fact that sometimes uh, it gets messy because it's not just from different parts of the world, but different ways of thinking, different backgrounds, different upbringings. Different, different systems that have been pumped into our minds and how we see the world and, and what we think our lives should look like. And it is beautiful and wonderful, but we also have to acknowledge, not without its challenges, right? Because then we, we disagree. There's conflict. What are we supposed to do? So today I want to ask that question. What is it that will bring us together? What is it that will unite us in a world like that? In the midst of diversity, we talked about that last week, as we celebrate our diversity, we still have to figure out how is it that we, what is it that holds us together when there could be so many different things? And when life cannot just fit in a nice, tidy little box, and love doesn't fit in just a bunch of rules and laws, what is it that's going to really bind us together? So Galatians chapter 4, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn and read with me. I'm going to start in verse 1 today. Uh, and just uh, share with you some insights that I hope will be helpful and hopeful, helpful for us. I need you to promise me something. Uh, as you're here today or watching online today, um, you need to continue the rest of this series. You need to join us next week. Uh, be here in person, watch online, uh, because what we talk about receiving today, we're going to talk about so many practical ways of living out over the next uh, three weeks or so. It's going to be really, really important, because if today you go, okay, that was, that was important, that was great, but what do I do with it? You're going to need to follow along. Next week, and I think this is going to be uh, just such an important topic for us to wrestle through, next week we're going to talk about what really freedom looks like. And as I'm looking out into the world and all the things we're dealing with, whether it's uh, protocols for, for COVID, whether it's uh, war in, in Ukraine and Russia, what, what is real freedom that we're called to and how do we live that out? So you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be really practical. Today, though, we really need to build a foundation for how we get to those practical steps. So that's what we're going to do. Galatians chapter 4 verse 1 says, think of it this way, 
Paul's just taught uh, what we talked about last week in Galatians chapter 3, that God has really broken down the divisions between Jew and Gentile, uh, male and female. Uh, He talks about this in uh, other ways, people who are are slaves, people who are free, those those boxes, those categories that we put people in, God has broken down and brought us all together. It's really amazing. Now, Paul's got to continue to work that out. Think of it this way, he says, if a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. Now, here's what Paul's doing. He's addressing his fellow Jews as a Jew. And he's taking a big risk here. Because one of their, their major identity markers for Jewish people, this has all, all been throughout the book of Galatians, is we are people of the law. God has given us a covenant and we are part of the covenant. The law is the stipulations of these covenants. It's how we live. It's how we know we are God's people. And yet Paul is saying, now we've invited all these other people in to be Christians, followers of Christ, and none of them are part of that. None of them had the law. In fact, the general way of thinking, at least for many Jews, would have been that we follow the one true God who has given us the covenants. The covenants, the promises given to Abraham, for example, and then Moses. And Moses is the one who actually gives the law to the people. We're going to see this in a minute, uh, that Paul actually draws his readers back to uh, Abraham, which is before the law. Moses comes after, but, but that's another part of the, uh, the process. And we'll see uh, the new covenant that was actually uh, foreseen and, and, and envisioned by the prophets. I'll talk about that later. So he's talking to his, his fellow Jews who are uh, those who inherit the promises of God, the covenants of God. And here's what he's going to say. So we look at other people like they're not the people of God. They haven't been given those promises. But then he says, just think about our situation. Because we think we're the children. We've got all, we're the inheritance of, the inheritors, the heirs of all of these great blessings. But he says here, here's the thing. If the father gives you inheritance until you're of age, until you get to that time of fulfillment where you actually get what your father has left you of his inheritance, you're the same as a slave. Go, wow, that's a huge risk, isn't it, to the Jewish people? They wouldn't have thought that way. What he's trying to do is saying, we've put ourselves over here like we're kind of, we're kind of better But let's deconstruct that a little bit and realize, yes, we had the law. Yes, it had a purpose. Yes, it was a good thing. But we thought we were children. We were actually slaves, just like we think everybody else is. It's remarkable. He talks about the basic spiritual principles at the end of that passage we read. We were children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles. That term most likely uh, means something like guardian angels or deities that looked after other nations. So in the ancient world, it would be very common that a nation would have a national god or gods, goddesses. And this is who takes care of us. This is what Paul's referring to, or certain angelic beings. This is who provides for us and cares for us. These are the basic spiritual principles. There's other translations, the basic elemental uh, principles. Um, But this is who we rely on as our gods or our goddesses to give us what we need. And the point Paul is making here is, while we think we're the people who, who follow the one true God, okay, and those people are not, he's saying when we got so addicted to the law, the law had come to function like this kind of false god. Wow, that's incredibly difficult for his, his original audience to hear. 
We've treated the law like it's God and it's become our nationalistic, judgmental God that just works for us and separates us from everybody else. And we actually have been operating like slaves until we could grow up and actually inherit the promises that God has given us. And that's where at the end of chapter three, you can go back and realize that that's what Paul was talking about when he was going back to Abraham. Who are the children of Abraham? Who are the children? Abraham was promised that he would be blessed by God. He would have God's presence and that he would be a blessing to the entire world. That's what Paul wants to bring back people to. That's the original promise, the original blessing, the original covenant that is for the entire world. The law came in. The law had its purpose. The law was given to Israel. But listen, he's saying, we can't just make the law our nationalistic God like everybody else has a nationalistic God. Because what does that lead to? A lot of separation. We're never going to be able to spread this good news to other people if we're saying, now you have to come and you have to join our law and you have to come under our God, which is the law. No, our God is the God who loves the entire world, has always wanted to bless the entire world. That was the promise to Abraham. It's, it's power, and it's, you can maybe see when you read all that, because this is, this is a huge religious issue, you can see why Paul and Jesus got in so much trouble with the religious leaders. Go, whoa, you're messing with what we think is core that makes us us. But Paul's going to be arguing that is not what makes us secure or happy or successful or even spiritual. We have to look to something greater and the one who's going to bring us together as we bring this message of good news to the world. Other nations, you know, would have had gods for all kinds of stuff. It's interesting. There's a god of war, god of money, god of fertility, goddess of fertility usually all these things, if you want this, if you need this, there's a certain God to worship. And if you do the right things, they'll give you, the, you know, what you need or what you want. Interesting, we do too, don't we? We don't call them gods. We don't call them basic spiritual principles or elemental principles of the world. But there are those things that we worship, that we give ourselves to, that we sacrifice to in order to get what we think we want and what we need. And the things that oftentimes try to differentiate ourselves from other people. Whatever. I mean, I don't think they change much. Still the same things. Still money, still power, still sex. But these things become gods and goddesses that that we just need to please in order for us to get what we want. I love Scott McKnight. He says this when he's talking about, so now we we, want to think about the idea of, well, then who are we supposed to follow? What unites us? What leads us together as a community? And he says this, hedonists are led by their desires. Materialists are led by their possessions. And legalists are led by their laws. And that's where Paul's at here. The legalist saying, not just whether the law is good or bad, but this is who we are. This is our identity. And of course, none of those are good. They all become divisive, selfish, nationalistic. They're power grabs, whatever. They they just don't lead us to the place where we want to go. So what is it that should prompt our actions, our emotions, our attitudes, our behavior? What should determine our careers? What should determine how we treat each other, how we uh, organize as a community, as a church, as as a group of people? Is it law? Is it our desires? Is it our emotions? Is it our possessions? What is it? Who is it? Verse four says, Paul continues, So remember, he's saying, listen, when we were children, we were following the law, but we were just like slaves, just like everybody else. We weren't free because we hadn't really inherited the true promises yet. Verse 4, he says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. So under our law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. It's beautiful. 
And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. So the moment finally came. And we were ready to inherit everything that we were told we could inherit. We were ready to inherit the promises of Abraham, the blessing of God. All of the law was now being fulfilled in what, in whom, in Jesus, who was sent to a woman born under the law so that he could come, die for us, show us what real love looked like, and free us from that law and to bring his good news, the kingdom of God, of that love and grace and forgiveness to the entire world. Powerful message for Jew and Gentile alike. For the entire world, not this nationalistic, divisive, us versus you kind of God, but an invitation for everybody to experience what real love is, what real community is, what real spirituality is. And we see it in Jesus so clearly. And then you see, this is actually one of these texts. So the early Christians, when the Bible is written, maybe you've heard of the Trinity as a a doctrine of Christianity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God exists uh, as one but there are three persons, a very mysterious, hard to explain uh, doctrine. But these are one, this is one of the passages, and there's many where people, interpreters go and say, they hadn't necessarily mapped out the doctrine of the Trinity yet, but here's where we find it. God sends his son and then gives his spirit. We have God the Father sending the son uh, and then uh, giving us his spirit. And we see this worked out. So what we see so clearly in Jesus, now we are adopted as children. And what's the, what is it that makes us us? Well, God has sent the spirit of his son, the spirit of Christ into our hearts. It's God's presence. It's God's spirit that lives in us. That's what brings us together. In other words, if we're going to take uh, that quote that I, I brought from Scott McKnight, we might say this, hedonists are led by their desires. Materialists are led by their possessions. Legalists are led by their laws. Christians are led by the spirit of Christ. This is it. This is how we are led. You say, is it laws? Is it rules? Okay, well, there's a place for those things. But at the core, who are we? What brings us together? What unites us? Even in a world where where there's so much that could divide us, it is that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ lives in me. And when I understand that that is a gift that's been given to me, I can't withhold it from you. I must look for the Spirit of God in you also, and you in me, and us in one another. As a church, as a community, to now say, what holds us together is the Spirit of God living and working in us and through us. Now, do you see how risky it is? See how risky it is? Paul takes a big risk here because you would say, yeah, but if you could just give me the simple steps, you go, hmm, there are some simple steps and we learn those and we move on. But real spiritual maturity, real depth is going to be messier than that. It's going to be more complicated. It's going to require not just knowledge of what is it that I'm supposed to do and not supposed to do, what's the right, what's the wrong, who's in, who's out, but it's going to require wisdom to live in this life and to live together in relationship in a deeper way. It's risky, but how can you do love any other way? You can't just regulate love. You can't just write a bunch of laws for love. That's not how love works. And so you learn the laws because we have to learn how to, how to live in some certain order and stuff. But, but what is it ultimately that holds us together? Well, it's love and law just isn't a big enough container for love. It's good. This was always uh, the vision of the prophets. Think of Jeremiah 31. This is a famous, this is part of where we, we get what we call the new covenant given to the prophets. Jeremiah says, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days. So you've got the covenant of Abraham. Yes, you've got the covenant of, of Moses and, and you know, there's others, but this is the new covenant. I, this is God speaking that I'll make with Israel in those days, said the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. 
and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord for, every, for everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, says the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Isn't that a beautiful covenant? You say, what should our relationship with God look like? Isn't that a beautiful picture? I will be your God, and you will be my people. I will remember your sins no more. And my instructions, would you put them in a book for us so that we can read them? Oh. I'll go further. I'll put them in your heart. I'll change your mind. I'll transform who you are. It's a beautiful picture that the prophets looked forward to. Ezekiel 36 said it very similarly. He said, and I will give you a new heart. Again, this is God. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You say, ah, so it's not that there's no rules. It's not that we just, oh, we'll do whatever we want. It's not that our God becomes our feelings or our desires or whatever whim that we might have. It's that the spirit of God actually has the power to transform who we are, not just try to legislate what we should do. The law can inform us, but it is the spirit of God that transforms us. Only love can do that. Law can tell you what you should do or what you shouldn't do, but law can't change your heart. The Spirit of God does that. What holds us together? The laws and the rules? No. Can we do whatever we want? It's not what I'm saying either. But what is it? Who is it that transforms us? It is the Spirit of God in our hearts. Is that we trust the Spirit of God to change who we are. That's what he promised us he would do. That is the new covenant. Paul is saying, do not go back to the old covenant. You're putting yourself back in jail. You say, but it's scary out here. It's scary in a world where I don't always know what to do. It's scary when I don't just have a list of exactly what I should do and not do. It's scary when people are different from me and we don't just have categories that separate us out. It's scary. Yes. And it is love. And it is God's spirit. And it will require trust and it will require wisdom and it will require us listening intently to what God is speaking to us, to, to examining our hearts and what's in there and what is of the Spirit and what is not. And it is what God has given us. I think in this passage, there are two elements of the Spirit's leading that Paul indicates and he wants us uh, to know. The Spirit will lead us, number one, in intimacy with God. This is crucial. If we're going to get this right, how will, the, how will the Spirit of God, how will he hold us together? even in such a polarized world. Number one, it's intimacy with God. We will come to know God better and deeper and his heart will become our heart. This is what we read that the spirit will call us as Jesus called him, call our father God, Abba. Abba Father, that we would cry out to him. This is, in the original language, a term that would have been used not just for little kids to their father, but even older kids to their father. And it is, uh, it is a title of intimacy. That you might call out to your father, the father who loves you, provides for you, protects you, forgives you. All the things that we read about in that new covenant. That we would be able to come to a place. I think some of us, we imagine God to be more like Zeus than God of the Bible. Ah, this far off God who's somewhere on a cloud and when he gets upset, he kind of throws some thunderbolts, makes things rumble, I don't know. But what about the God that we can come to in quiet spaces and come to know intimately and come to trust as a father who wants everything good for us? We sang it this morning. Protects us, cares for us, provides for us. How will we not get off track in the risky world of living by the Spirit? Well, we need to grow in intimacy. We need to come to know God better. 
to allow his heart to be our heart, to allow him to transform us. Verse 7, Galatians 4 says, Now you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Number two, number one was intimacy with God. Number two, the Spirit leads us in inheritance of God's promises. This is where we go back to the promises given to Abraham to be his child and that he would have offspring and that those offspring would be the offspring of God. They would be so numerous we could never count them, that we get to be part of that. We get to be heirs. We get to inherit all the good things that God has for us, his presence, his blessing in our lives, that we can be his children, that we can be not just slaves under a law, but that we can be children. We're family. We're the ones that get to be part of everything God is building. And we might talk about that in the terms Jesus did, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's now at hand. It's all around us and we get to participate in it. That is our father's business that we get to join and be part of. It is the business of bringing love and grace and forgiveness and peace and waging war in the way that God does peacefully against evil. How appropriate is that for our world here and abroad? The inheritance of God's promises. No more rigid categories of us versus them. I get it. It's easy just to say we're the good guys. Everybody else is the bad guys. But this is an invitation to be part of a family. That everybody is invited to be part of this family. No more rigid categories. No more nationalism. No more judgmentalism. Now it's the spirit of God's economy of grace that flows to us and through us. By the way, you read Jesus, you read Paul, pretty much the entire Bible, you realize that we can't give what we, can't, what we haven't received. And we will be able to give what we do receive. This is us stepping into economy. Forgiven people, forgive people. People who live in grace, show people grace. People who are loved, show people love. That is why it's so important, as I think Paul is saying here, is you must first start by receiving all these things that God wants to give to you. We will say much about how we then turn it outwards in the next few weeks, but that's what this morning is about. To receive to receive God's intimacy, invitation to intimacy with us, to receive his inheritance, the promises of his blessing and his presence, to know that God is with us. So hedonists are led by their desires. Materialists are led by their possessions. Legalists are led by their laws. Christians are led by the spirit of Christ. Here's my question for you today. Functionally speaking, not just what you would say, not what you're supposed to say because you're in church, but functionally speaking, who or what are you led by? Really, what sets your attitude? What sets your expectations? What sets uh, your emotions even? What sets your behaviors? Who is it or what is it that is leading you? For Christians, our call and our invitation is to answer that, not just theoretically, but very practically, by saying the Spirit of Christ. And where will we find the Spirit of Christ? In us. Yes, as individuals, but in us as a community. All around us. Look around. This isn't just an individualistic message, although it is that. It's more than that to say, you can find Christ in you, but look around. You can find Christ in the people sitting next to you, sitting all around you. Become united, so different, and yet all offered the blessing of God, so beautiful and so wonderful. This is who we are. This is what unites us. The love, the forgiveness that we draw upon for our strength in life. This is what will move us forward. And I believe this is what will move the world forward. So today, uh, as, we, as we close in the next few minutes, uh, what I'd like to do uh, is for us to take communion together because communion is a reminder of our identity. It's a reminder of what makes us us and what it costs for us 
to live in the spirit and the presence of God. Now, if you're joining us here online uh, and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, as, as we participate in this uh, kind of ritual that Jesus gave to us to remind us of his death uh, and of, of his shedding of blood for us, uh, you don't need to participate in this. This is something that we are proclaiming and, and we want you to feel comfortable uh, to be here and to investigate, but also just to go, I'm just going to watch this part or I'm going to listen along. And uh, if you're not there yet, uh, that's okay for you to be joining us. I hope that you'll understand just how much God loves you to give you and all of us this invitation to be part of his family, to be his children. If you're in the room today, uh, in the chair in front of you, just underneath the seat, there is uh, the elements, the, the bread and the juice. You can grab that now. Uh, they are in one. I'll just remind you, we're going to take them in a minute. Um, there's two flaps. The first one, the top one, uh, you'll open and there's a little wafer there. That is the representation of the body of Christ. The body of Christ. By the way, uh, Paul talks about uh, the followers of Jesus as the body of Christ as well. Uh, that we come together all different, but united in Christ. The body of Christ shows us that God would step into humanity and he would show us what it looks like to give himself up in sacrificial love. He would show us what the Father's love is for us. We read about that in this passage today. That God would send his son, born of a woman, under the law. It's his way of saying, just like all of us, to give us redemption. It's a reminder that God gives us everything that we need for the journey he's called us on. It's beautiful. And then the next flap, uh, you don't have to un uncover it now, but is the, the juice which reminds us of the blood of Christ, which was shed for the forgiveness of sins. You might say in all of this, sounds wonderful, the blessing of God, but I'm not worthy. I haven't earned that. I don't know if I actually really do fit in. I don't know if I fit in with these people or any other people, or religious people or spiritual people. This is a reminder that it's not how you've earned your way in. You could never do that. None of us could. But Jesus shed his blood to forgive us, his very life blood, what, what makes him alive given to us so that we can be alive. So uh, in these next few minutes, I'll just encourage you, just take some quiet moments and perhaps it's a time where you need to rededicate your trust to God and say, God, I've been perhaps relying on, on other gods, whether I call, that, call them that or not, to give me what I think I need and to rededicate your trust to the God who gave his son for us. Perhaps it's a time where uh, you need to space, uh, spend a few moments in uh, quiet confession. Say, God, there's ways where I have violated the spirit of God inside of me, where I've gone astray, where I've listened to these other gods. Maybe, maybe those other gods are myself. And to find that when we come to Christ, we find his forgiveness renewed in us again, offered over and over and over because it was offered once and for all in the person of Jesus Christ when he died for us. When we take these elements, we eat and we drink, we internalize them. I think that's part of the ritual. Jesus said, this is my body, eat it. What do you mean? Eat it. What you eat goes inside of you and becomes part of you. Take my blood, drink it. Let it go inside of you. Let it permeate your very being. Let it become part of you. This is a reminder, we're gonna sing this, that the, the, the spirit of God is in this place. But when we sing those words, be reminded, not in this place like, oh, this room, these walls, inside of us, inside of me and inside of you. Because when we go out those doors and we go into the world, when you who are watching at home uh, continue to interact with your family, go to work, whatever it is that you do, we carry the presence of Christ 
into this world, into the conflict, into the struggles, into the pain and into the sin, and we become agents of his kingdom. It's what unites us and brings us together. So I'm going to pray and give thanks for the elements, and there'll be just a minute of silence or so, and then we're going to sing a song. Uh, When you're ready, in the next few minutes, uh, take that wafer. It's the body of Christ which has been given to you. And drink the juice. It's the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And when those things go in your mouth and into your stomach, be reminded, the Spirit of Christ is in us, in you, in our church, in our community, to go out into the world. So today, Father, we, we pray to you and we thank you for sending us your son, a man born to a woman under the law, to bring freedom from the law, to bring freedom from the sin, to lavish grace and forgiveness upon this world. God, you know the many things that are such a struggle in our world right now, for us personally and for the world globally. And so today as an act of trust, we thank you for the body of Christ given for us, strength for our journey. Thank you for stepping into our context and our world as a human being sharing our struggles to show us that you give us everything that we need. Thank you for the the blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so now we take a moment to confess uh, that which is uh, in us and that which we have done or not done that has offended you, that has taken us away from loving you and loving our brothers and sisters. God, give us forgiveness and the courage to repent and walk in a different way. We thank you for the costly sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. We thank you for his resurrection that assures us of victory over all of these things. And we pray today in our own lives and across the globe that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.